0: morning, everybody so we are in john chapter twenty one and it was um just last week uh when we finished up chapter 20 that we found our our theme verse uh, for the uh, study uh so we'll um we'll, we'll Go through those uh, one more time. Uh, this is uh, uh, John twenty thirty one together. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that leaving you may have life in his name. And uh, we have um, revisited that uh, several times, and uh, I think it's, it's just been good. I was telling Dad the last time um, we were in the prophets, uh, as we look toward Jeremiah next week. uh, The last time was when we were in Isaiah. How many people were here when we went through Isaiah? All right. So I think this is interesting. Um, uh, Maybe a third, right? Uh, And it just shows the the natural evolution of. Of uh, the class. I think that, you know, if you, the church, you know, just it's constantly new and uh, always changing. I think that's really neat. Uh, When we started, uh, when Dad did the intro to Isaiah, it was in the fall of 2015. Uh, So here we are, back, uh, heading back toward the prophets, uh, what, seven years later. All right, so chapter 21 of John. has a different feel, a different. Um, uh, it's a it's a different um, set of topics. Uh, there, the way it reads is a little. Um, uh, just three little snapshots, uh, and it's a real change from this real crescendo that we saw um, uh, with Easter and the resurrection and it's so different that some people have wondered what about this last chapter did it really go with the rest of the book was it really written by the same person who wrote the rest of John Uh, what about that and um, of course as scholars do they debate it Uh, but most of the people I read kind of land on uh, the fact that the first chapter of John really has a different feel, too, and that this provides a nice symmetry to the book. Uh, also, they make the point that there are no original manuscripts of John that don't include the last chapter. And so if this was something that was tagged on sometime later, um Chances are there would be at least one copy that didn't have that. So the fact that it is always together um, suggests that it it belongs. And then they also point out that there are a lot of linguistic features that are very similar to John. Some of the way that he refers to places and to people uh, is very similar. So uh, I think we can, if you your commentaries or your Bible footnotes uh, raise that, I think you can feel that you're on pretty firm ground uh, that this belongs with John, and I think as we get into it you'll, you'll see that. But certainly there is this uh, it's, after, it's after the resurrection, right? And I think it's, it's very interesting somewhere in my study I'm, I just wrote down the phrase the in-between times. This was kind of an in-between time for the disciples. Uh, they had been in Jerusalem, all the events, the, the person that they had wrapped their lives around for the last three years um, had been crucified. Just, that in itself was amazing, and then even more amazing than that, had risen from the dead and had appeared to them on two separate occasions, And then here they were. Now, in Matthew chapter 28, as Jesus is speaking to the women uh, who have recently discovered that he was alive, said this, Go quickly, tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Uh, behold, he is going before you to Galilee. This is the, the angel speaking to the, the women. I don't think I said that properly. Behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. So they departed quickly from the tomb, ran to tell his disciples. This is verse 9 of chapter 28 in Matthew. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So as we... We know that, that right thereafter, while they were still in Jerusalem, Jesus did appear to them twice. But chapter 21 is in Galilee. So let's look at chapter 21 of John, verse 1. After this, this is after, to go back, the last person he speaks to is Thomas. He says, my Lord and my God. Jesus says, you know, have you believed? Blessed are those who have believed and not seen. And then John says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. The Sea of Tiberias is the Sea of Galilee. Uh, in John chapter 6, um, it's, it says the Sea of Tiberias, that is the Sea of Galilee. So that's one of those uh, evidences that this, the same writer is, is writing uh, this chapter it says he revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. So, there's some discussion in the commentaries about uh, where were the disciples, and in, in terms of connecting with Jesus, were they to be um, uh, looked down on with disappointment that you know, God, that they had received this commission uh, from Jesus uh, again from Matthew 28, and and here they are just hanging out and decide to go fishing, uh, or are they to be commended um, because um, he said? go to Galilee and I'll that's where you'll find me and and so obediently they've gone to Galilee and um I think it's you know the, their last direction was to go to Galilee so here they are but from practical standpoint you know guys still got to eat and uh they were back in their hometowns and hey we're fishermen uh we've got the boat um uh, we're by the water uh Jesus has yet to show up, let's go fishing. I mean, it's hard to argue that, right? Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're in, we'll go with you. Uh, and again, you, you start to get this flavor as Peter uh, being somewhat of a leader of, of the, the crew there. And, and we'll see that more, um, of course, uh, as the story progresses to Acts. But says, says... Um, We'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And typically uh, in that day your best fishing was at night. Verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And he said to them, children, do you have any fish? In other words, hey, Gad, hey guys, uh, our lads are... Do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple, whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, about about 100 yards off. Uh, so here we see Simon Peter, his usual impulsive self. Um, John says, it's the Lord. And, you know, he's basically stripped down to his uh, undies there and has been, um, I heard this very detailed description of how they fish, which sounded kind of complicated that you would have two boats, with a net between them to kind of corral the fish, and then you would throw a cast net into that group and try to, to gather them. It sounded kind of complicated, but somehow their description involving somebody diving in to check the nets, and they somehow they connected with, Jesus, with uh, Peter was, was in that process, so he had already been in the water. Um, in any event, uh, as soon as John says this, Peter's off the boat uh, swimming to shore, um, which the other guys must have look, been looking around to. What? what? What's he doing? I mean, we, we're having a hard time getting the fish in already, and now, you know, there he goes. In any event, um, they finally make it in, everybody else. Verse 9. When they, got, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore full of large fish. There were 153 of them. And although there were so many that the net was not torn, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? for they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So, um, I mean, this is just an amazing scene. And in some ways, it's, it's a remembrance of a lot of things that have happened throughout the book. Now, those of you who have read ahead know that we're getting to the point in verse 15, the very next, next verse, where it's Jesus and Peter talking, and this is the one where where Jesus says, you know, do you love me? All right? So that's where we're heading. So this, this little um, lead up to this uh, kind of sets the stage. And in this first uh, little section, we, we get a little uh, of this stage setting, so to speak, and that is uh, verse nine. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. Um, the fire was lit; charcoal was being used. And there's only one other place in the whole New Testament where that word is used for charcoal. Do you know where it was? For
1: the girl.
0: Exactly. It was a charcoal fire that they were warming themselves over when Peter denied Christ. So, the scene is being set. They get on the shore. If you've been around fires all your life. Um, you can kind of tell what's burning by the smell of the wood. And so they smell this, so automatically you get this trigger. Look at the other things that you would remember. Remember? Um, this whole thing, cast the net on the other side, it was one of the earliest miracles, remember? When there was a similar setting where they were fishing, hadn't caught anything, and then he says, hey, cast on the other side, and there was so many this time that the nets were starting to break, right? Remember this one? They couldn't, you know, the, there were so many fish in the boat, the boats were starting to go under. So this, this advice from the shore um, you know, have you ever been fishing with somebody and you're really not catching anything, and whoever else is in the boat says, Well, cast over there. And you're like, Well, thanks for the advice. Uh, yeah, that never occurred to me. Uh, sure, yeah, I'll cast over there. Um, you know, just to kind of hush you up. Um, that may have been what had happened. Uh, in any event, when I think my battery's dying when the when the disciples did what they were actually told to do, and then they get this big uh, uh, haul, instantly they would have remembered that. I think it's my dad. I'll put on my I-can't-hear-you voice. So all of these things are are conspiring to bring to mind. What is he feeding them? Fish and bread. What was on the menu for the feeding of the five thousand? Fish and bread. Right. Another reminder of the things that uh, that they had already experienced. Uh, in any event, it says, "Come and have breakfast." Uh, we know from Luke, the the two guys that were on the road to Emmaus. Um, There was breakfast there. Uh, A lot of the stories that are coming to mind uh, ring true uh, to what they already knew about Jesus. Many people have seized on different parts of this, like the 153 books written on the significance of that number. Is there any significance of that number? People have like said, well, uh, if you take, I think it was in Ezekiel, and where they talk about how the word of the Lord is gonna spread from this river to this river, and if you take the the uh, the letters in those words, and if you align them up with uh, the alphabet, which apparently is a thing that each letter in the Greek and the Hebrew alphabet uh, stands for a number, um, that equals uh, 153, and and then if you add 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5 and so forth, when you get to 17, and then you o- add all those up, well, that equals 153. So uh, some significance to that, and I don't know if there's any significance to it at all. Um, some people feel it has no significance. It's just, hey. Uh, We normally divvy up the fish among the people that were there, and so we're used to counting our fish, and there's 153. It's just put there because that's how it was. Um, You can get off on tangents, uh, obviously. In any event, the scene shifts now in verse 15 to Peter. It says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now the first question uh, is, well, what's more than these what? Uh, Do you love me more than your buddies? Do you love me more than boats and fishing and that life? What, what What does it mean, do you love me more than these? Most people landed on this meaning, Do you love me more than they love me? More than, do you love me more than these guys love me? Which is kind of being put on the spot, right? In any event, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And then he said to him the second time, Simon, son of John, Kind of a formal uh, title. Uh, Do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So, working backwards a little bit, this statement, um, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you did not want to go. Remember, John was written many years after the events that were described in John. Uh, John was the longest-lived of the apostles, and Peter had had been dead by then. And tradition tells us that he was crucified. Uh, This other little thing about him being crucified upside down, apparently there's not as much historical evidence uh, for that. But, but people do agree that he was crucified, and, and this is some of the evidence that um, you'll stretch out your hands and somebody else is going to dress you and take you to a place where you do not want to go. Uh, so this is John um, uh, taking Jesus' words and, and, and putting it out there to, to show where Peter's devotion was going to lead him one day. But how many people have heard to look at the beginning of that section, how many of you have heard the the sermons about the the different types of love and how Jesus is presenting you know agape and phile, you know all this have you heard those sermons? Mm-hmm. I have apparently most people don't think any of that is true <laughs> um, that that this word about well the in the Greek, he asks, do you agape me? And, and, and uh, Peter says, I phileo you. Apparently, nobody has even, of the preachers that I heard preach these, um, even made the point that they weren't talking in Greek. They were speaking in Aramaic. Now, the Holy Spirit chose Greek to, for the recording of this, but they make the point that throughout John, John just goes back and forth. That there are times where God is described as loving us in agape fashion, and there are times when God is shown as loving us with phileo. And they, they give tons of examples that John just goes back and forth. It's just for him. And there's other extra-biblical evidence that the word agape was starting to be used interchangeably with phileo, with other writings around the time that John was being written. So there was very little of this real specific intent. Um, It's just a style thing. What grieved Peter in verse 17 was that he was asked the third time. So the point is Peter had publicly denied Christ three times. And now, Jesus is giving him the opportunity to publicly affirm him three times. This is Jesus giving Peter restoration for what he had done. Now, there are several passages where, uh, like there's a a verse that says, And Jesus appeared to Cephas and the twelve, you know. So many people believe that Jesus and Peter had already had a private one-on-one of this forgiveness issue, but here there's public restoration that Jesus is giving to Peter. And then tied with that is I forgive you so much so you are going to be doing exactly what I want you to do. You're going to be my shepherd. Remember of all those statements we saw in John, I am the light. I am the shepherd. I am the vine. All these I am statements. And here he's telling Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and so forth. Um, He's giving him a job to do. You don't give somebody a job to do unless you approve of them. Pastor N.T. Wright tells a story of a dinner party that he and his wife had one time, and a friend was there and had just had a great time, offered to help with the dishes, and they allowed him to do that, and apparently he was a bit of a clumsy sort and and dropped one of their favorite pictures, and it just shattered. And the guy was devastated and, you know, left awkwardly with apologies and everything, but a few months later, they had him back over to dinner, so forth, and then when they were done, they gave him a towel to help out again, and that's kind of the picture here, Um, not only has he been restored publicly, but this mission of, you know, Peter upon this rock, Peter, I will build my church, Uh, That work is still uh, There for him Our next scene Now In verse 19 it says after saying this He said to him Follow me Now a lot of people think he actually meant Follow me So picture Jesus and Peter Walking on the shore of the lake Right Peter Because then what happens makes sense Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them." So Jesus says to Peter, follow me. They're walking on a ship. Peter looks over, here comes John, you know, tagging along, you know, Peter's probably thinking, hey, you didn't call him, you called me. In any event, people t- Peter turned, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is that that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to the Jesus, What about him? What about this man? In other words, here's what you d- told me to do. Here's You've told me how I'm going to die. What about him? And Jesus said to him in verse 22, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So a little bit, you know... <laughs> Peter got fairly equal doses of praise and correction. And once again, it's like, you know, you know, that's not your business. What is that to you? But because he said that, verse 23, it says, So the saying spread broad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. So for years, tradition had built up because Jesus has said, If it's my will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? People thought, John's never going to die. Jesus is going to come back before John dies. But John is correcting that. It says, So the saying spread broad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? In other words, um and by this time John's old and knows he's probably going to die and Jesus hasn't come back yet and so he's kind of setting the record straight here. Verse 24 This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things and we know that his testimony is true. So verse 24 Connects the writer of this book with the disciple whom Jesus loved, and again part of the evidence that we looked at early in the book as to who wrote John. This is part of part of that evidence. Um, this we know that his testimony is true. Um, some people think these last couple of phrases may, or at least this verse, may have been um, included in the writings by. Uh, perhaps the scribe, uh, perhaps the church at Ephesus, which is where John was when this was being written, uh, who they were people who were very close to the story. They knew this man. They knew his character, and they were adding their weight to the truthfulness of what was there. And then, verse twenty-five. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did, were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And when you, you know, you might think, well, that sounds almost like a little hyperbole, but trust me, when you see how many pages somebody could write just whether this number 153 meant anything. Uh he may have been it may have been true. Um and especially commentaries on commentary. I mean it, it it it's probably closer to the truth than we would even think today. So what about what about this? Um, several people made, I thought, very good applications for this passage, and I wanna Mention a couple of them. It says, How dreadfully easy is it for Christian workers to get the impression that we've got to do it all? God, we imagine, is waiting passively for us to get on with things. And if we don't organize it, it won't happen. If we don't tell people the good news, they won't hear it. If we don't change the world, it won't be changed. He has no hands but our hands, we are sometimes told. What a load of rubbish. Whose hands made the sun rise this morning? Whose breath guided us to think and pray and love and hope? Who is the Lord of the world anyway? We may be given the Holy Spirit to enable us to work for Jesus, but the holy breath is not independent of the master who breathes it out, of the sovereign God, the creator. Neither the institutional church nor its members can upstage him. Jesus welcomes Peter's catch. He asks him to bring some of it, but he doesn't in that sense need it. This is relating to that part of the story that even though they had brought in so many fish, Jesus already had fish. He already had the bread. He was already, he already had breakfast ready for them. He didn't necessarily need what they were bringing in. He may have just done the miracle <laughs> just to, just to be funny, you know. Hey, do that other side thing again. See if that works this time, but he was already there, he was already working, and I think that is a nice little reminder. Other commentators point to the difference in the roles of the two main characters here: Peter, the leader, the shepherd, the impulsive one, wanting to really um, you know follow God and and be after. All those things, compared with John, the big picture guy, the writer, the thinker. Um, you know, we all have different roles to play, and we all have different things to do. and And I think that's a good message for us as well. People made the point about the special restoration that Peter got that. That really your ability to follow Jesus the way you want to follow him can be bogged down by old junk you may be carrying with you stuff that the accuser wants to remind you of that God has already dealt with and that ultimately we want to do what we do for Christ out of love for him recognizing that he has forgiven us and he's ready for us to go forward. And then the other thing I come back to, which was this in-between notion. The disciples had seen all that had happened. They had seen the resurrection. But yet there was this season where they were told to just go to this place and wait. And he was going to show up. And I really, I, I get the sense that there are seasons of life that are sometimes just in between seasons. It's not super clear maybe what you ought to be doing. And in those seasons, we can just, without being guilty, or feeling guilty rather, we can just hang out and wait for Jesus. Knowing that he's working, and that he will let us know what the next thing is for us. And I think that can be liberating. Um, it, we can be readying ourselves for whatever that is, but sometimes I think it's okay to be in between. That's all I got. Questions, comments?
1: was already stripped because of jumping in and out of the water. When he got impulsive, he would have thought the first thing he'd done was to go right in, but he put a, his coat on, which made me wonder if he remembered walking on the water and thought, well, I'll just get dressed dress now. He wouldn't put on something to jump in.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting part of the story. Uh, again, a lot of speculation. I, I like that angle, Dave. Um, you know, he was stripped down because he was diving, but now he's going to dive back in the water, but he straps on his his, uh, his outer cloak. Um, I guess he was just planning on needing it when he got to shore, and and he wasn't coming back to the boat. I don't know.
1: It was a long way to swim. It was a long
0: way to swim, yeah. <laughs> what else? Bob?
1: Uh, we were in, uh, in this last trip on the map, we stood right here in this plot. Oh,
0: Uh, how awesome.
1: Along with a lot of other things around the sea. You know, Jesus uh, did a lot of work So much around happened, sea yeah. Galilee, all the way the sea of Absolutely. But this was one of the major points that we saw there. Yes? I missed where they were told to go to Galilee.
0: Um, Matthew 28:7. 7, 7 through 10 is kind of the reference. Well, I think we can all be grateful for John for the different um, way he presented um, his take on what Jesus had done uh, the way that he was having had time to evaluate things and present the evidence uh, for Christ so that we may believe Um, I think we can all appreciate uh, our study and uh, I look forward to the next one Let's close, Father, we thank you for the way that you love us. We thank you whether we are um, in the midst of ministry or if we 're in between and waiting, that you are always there ahead of us and before of us before us, and that you are always um, uh, breathing uh, into us um, the energy and the, the actions that we need to take. We thank you for uh, your, your word. We thank you for the gospel of John and for uh, the way that it can encourage us um, to continue forward uh, in the work that you do have for us. Uh, in all these things we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks everybody.